0: welcome to Ohio Mysteries We will get to our mystery in a moment But first, let's talk about what Ohio Mysteries has going on As you know, we release episodes that coincide with the Acker Journal and Ohio.com We recently released a two-parter with them on June 29th and June 30th Please be sure to check out the story we did on Tommy Summerix and Ruth Guthrie Also, I want to thank all of our supporters If you would like to continue to see us grow Please make sure you hit the subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. The best way to support us is to share our podcast with friends and family. Thank you for all of our supporters. And now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beaker Journal, Paula Schleiss.
1: Hi, everybody. What would you do if you heard your neighbor screaming in the middle of the night? We've got two unsolved homicides in this episode, one in Cincinnati, one in Columbus, 25 years apart and completely unrelated, except that in both cases, people admitted to hearing the victims being attacked and did nothing. One can only wonder if these neighbors' fears of getting involved cost a couple of young women their lives. In 1974, Sylvia Kabalik was a 24-year-old nurse, a wife, and an expectant mother. She, her three sisters, and her brother were all born in the Philippines, and their parents were still there. But Sylvia and her sisters all came to America, I can only imagine, in search of the American dream. Now the three sisters, Evelyn, Cynthia, and Devera, were making their way in California, while Sylvia had settled in Cincinnati, Ohio. Sylvia was married to Solomon Kabalik, a sailor with the U.S. Navy. Five months earlier, Solomon's ship left Newport News, Virginia, and he was still at sea. Sylvia, expecting the young couple's first child, remained alone in Cincinnati, but she kept plenty busy. She was a nurse at St. Francis Hospital, and since Solomon wasn't home, she took a night shift. She lived on Lowell Avenue in the city's Clifton neighborhood, and frankly, it was a good neighborhood to be away from at night. During the day, the area was deceptively calm. It was filled with a predominantly white and very mobile population— including students from the University of Cincinnati, doctors and nurses from nearby hospitals, and young professionals who worked in downtown 10 minutes away. Most people who moved in here were gone within a matter of months. The apartments there were simple but comfortable multi-unit dwellings. But in 1974, crime in this neighborhood was on the rise, Enough so that the local newspaper did a story on the unsettling trend. The rate of burglaries was among the highest in the city. Five women had been raped within three blocks of Sylvia's apartment. Two other women had been raped on nearby Riddle Road. I do not know if Sylvia took the night shift so she wouldn't be home alone at night, but it certainly would have been understandable. On Monday, December the 30th, Sylvia left St. Francis at 7.30 a.m. and drove home. She parked her car on the street in the early morning darkness and walked to the apartment building's unlocked front door. She walked through the main hallway, past a dark stairwell that was to the right of her apartment door. The stairwell led to the building's laundry room. In that stairwell a man lay in wait. Before Sylvia could get inside her apartment, she screamed several times, and the man struck her, then dragged her five-foot, two-inch, 100-pound body down the stairs. There he raped her and beat her to death, leaving her body on the laundry room floor. Twelve hours later, At 6.48 p.m., Cincinnati Patrolman Ronald Miller found her broken and bloody body. He'd been sent to the apartment building after Sylvia's friends, who lived elsewhere, called police to report they hadn't been able to locate her. Miller saw blood when he entered the apartment building, and he followed the trail to the laundry room. Now, investigators questioned the neighbors that were present and learned that two of them heard Sylvia screaming in those early morning hours. They took no action. It was the first rape in that neighborhood that had ended in murder, and it was enough to scare a lot of residents. Two nurses who lived next door to Sylvia moved out. And a nurse who lived in another building on the street told a reporter, I'm willing to guess nobody would do anything if it happened here. Sylvia's homicide was the 68th and final homicide of 1974 for the city of Cincinnati. Sergeant Paul Morgan told reporters that because of the randomness of the rape and murder, he feared Sylvia's attacker would strike again. He might have been right. Years later, Morgan told Cincinnati Magazine that detectives did have a strong suspect in the case, someone who was already serving time for a similar case. But Morgan said they could never find any evidence to tie him to the attack on Sylvia, and I could find no more recent stories about who that suspect was or what became of him. Our second story tonight is from Columbus, just northwest of the Ohio State University campus. Monday, March the 23rd, 1998, was the night of the 70th Academy Awards when Titanic and its heartthrob Leonardo DiCaprio took home Oscars. Danielle Nussbaum, couldn't wait to talk to her younger sister, Stacy Colbert, about it because Daniel had taken Stacy to see the movie for her 23rd birthday. But Stacy wasn't answering her phone. Danielle thought maybe Stacy had been sent out of town for work. She was a recent OSU grad and had landed a job as a marketing assistant for American Electric Power. So Danielle left a voicemail. The next day, Danielle fully expected to hear from her sister. Instead, she got a call from Stacy's employer. Stacy had missed a couple of days of work. Now, Danielle, in an interview with the university newspaper, The Lantern, talked about that day, how she rushed over to her sister's apartment in a complex that was known as Governor Square. Stacy's car was there. The apartment door was unlocked and slightly ajar. Inside, clothes were strewn about, the refrigerator door was open, and a half-eaten box of breadsticks sat on the kitchen table. Despite the disarray, Stacy's keys, purse, and credit cards were all there. Nothing seemed to be missing, except for her cat Boots, who had wandered out through the open door. Danielle called the police. The police located the pizza delivery driver who was the last person to see Stacy alive. That was Saturday evening, March the 21st, when he delivered those breadsticks. He told police he didn't see anyone else in the apartment, but he had the distinct impression that Stacy wasn't alone. Far more disturbing, police talked to Stacy's neighbor a man who lived upstairs in apartment C. He told detectives he heard horrible screams coming from the apartment below him at 4 a.m. that Sunday morning. The screams continued for a long time, and that, along with some loud banging, had made it hard for him to get back to sleep. Yet he did nothing, called no one. The next day, around 2 p.m., He saw Stacy's cat outside her apartment. He knocked on her door, and when she didn't answer, he left. Now, Stacy's loss was felt by many. The brown-haired, brown-eyed woman had many friends in the OSU area, where she had been vice president of Alpha Delta Pi sorority. Her friends described her as positive, enthusiastic, vibrant, and compassionate, the kind of person people turn to in need. She worked hard at school and landed an internship at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta doing marketing for McDonald's. It was a dream opportunity. But she always saved time for fun. Weekends always found her out and about dancing. Friends and family covered the campus in missing persons flyers and held vigils praying for her safe return. But that hope was quashed six years later in 2004. On Saturday, November the 27th, a hunter named Ray Parsons was searching for his lost dog along a wooded area by the Sciota River in Delaware County. He discovered human bones instead. Forensic experts recovered seventy percent of a person's skeletal remains. Dental records identified it as Stacy Colbert. As I said earlier, in both cases, the screams from Sylvia and Stacy were clearly heard and acknowledged by neighbors living right next to them. Afterward, people in their communities questioned. How someone could ignore a plea for help. There's a popular slogan today that encourages people to take action. It goes, see something, say something. I would hope it's implied that that includes a scream in the dark.
0: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, or more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, share our podcast everywhere. We are currently trying to reach our goal of being the number one podcast on KillerPodcasts.com, which we currently hold the second most listened podcast there. I know you can help us get there.